Good morning. Uh, let me just pray again here before we begin. Uh, Father, we just invite you in. Thank you for your word, for your love, for your presence, for the work that you're about in each one of us, Lord. We just praise and thank you for um, the celebration of um, worship that led up to this moment this morning, Lord, and all the truth that uh, was true of you in the body of that, that you have come, you came for us, Lord. We praise and thank you. We ask you to use this time, Lord, and would you speak through uh, these words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the topic this morning this thankfulness in all things. Um, I find that it actually travels well uh, behind uh, the series that Pastor Ben has just completed in Luke 1 and 2, um, particularly last week's topic that was on joy, and I would encourage you to go back and revisit that again. That was a powerful uh, word. But they tie together well. We didn't necessarily plan it that way. Um, Most Often my occasional messages are coming about through uh, the reflection of how God is working in my own life, and I'm sharing that out to you all. Usually for me, that involves some of the major tenets of our faith um, um, and how those are to work out in us as followers of Jesus. Um, Things like love and grace and humility, and um, that, of course, tightly tie to the fruit of the Spirit, right? The evidence of the Spirit working within us and redeeming us. And all those in each and every one of them represent uh, an indicator, uh, right, of our growth in likeness of Jesus. And it's both their increasing presence that we're looking for, but sometimes it's necessary for look, to, to take the hard look and recognize in some cases their absence But regardless, it prompts us to come back to the feet of God and say, Lord, how can this be true of me, more true than it is today? So today's message is no different than my message of the past, this idea of a deep abiding thankfulness is a calling for all of us. And I felt, as I felt the conviction around this message, it was more than a month ago, and I didn't know, though, how personal it would become leading up to today, but Let's start this morning by just looking at this uh, central verse. It's very familiar to most of you. This 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. Paul expresses, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So let me give some important context because we're plucking, of course, this verse out of context in Thessalonians. So, Thessalonians is viewed by some scholars as probably Paul's first written letter uh, making its way into the, uh, the canon. He's writing to pagan converts, uh, new Jesus followers, in the midst of persecution for their faith. Um, and that's a context of many of the epistles in the New Testament. A dominant theme here in this writing is the second coming of Jesus. So we sang about that this morning. I love the way the Spirit... Uh, 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 brings these services together every Sunday. But it's possible that some of the believers in the community may have recently experienced the loss of life of those that they love dearly. And the remaining believers are likely struggling. So this specific verse is coming out of Paul's final instructions for living together as a community of Jesus followers. 
right out front, though, I don't want you to miss the, the, um, the significant contrast in this verse um, as Paul speaks, first of all, of the temporal, all circumstances, right? And contrast that within the overarching covenant will of God that transcends circumstances. So, in essence, thankfulness from God's perspective is always his will for us that we live a life that is reflective of that. So I think the challenge for us, as it was for the Thessalonians, is that some were probably asking the questions that when life gets hard, uh, when difficult circumstances hit, we suffer the loss of life, health, relationship, or we become the victims of injustices, Where is God in this? What's he doing? Why is this happening? What's he want from me in the midst of this? You see, every one of us struggles, suffers in some way every day as we live out life in this broken world. Nobody uh, gets a pass on that. It's part of life living here. That's been some of my recent struggle. My oldest granddaughter, Ellie, she's just five and a half. She loves to simply run. But here recently, she's been struck with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis in both knees and one elbow. And so this little person who would run around endlessly now is only left to hobble, unable to run. Is any one of you who are parents or grandparents? Your response is, God, no, not this. Let me take the suffering, right? Take my health, take my life. But don't just let this happen. And so we live that out in many ways throughout our lives. Different circumstances. I know many of you have suffered or are suffering significant losses or impacts like those, health and relationship, tough circumstances. And of course, our hardest struggle sometimes is with those that we love facing those hard times. So in the midst of these challenges, this is my question to God. How do I come into alignment with your express will, Lord, what I would call a deep abiding thankfulness versus a superficial, temporary, and circumstantial thankfulness that changes moment to moment, day by day, depending on how life is going. That's what the calling is. How can God expect this of us? Is it even possible? Big questions, and those are the ones I typically find myself asking and attempting to tackle as I come to these moments Uh, in the pulpit. And it's always hard to narrow this down to the content of a single message. These are huge. There is so much scripture because God has a great deal to say about this. And so it's a challenge to narrow it down uh, on these mornings. Here's where I want to take us in the time that we have. I want to share with you a story that I hope will help us gain clarity on some foundational issues. Uh, 
then out of that, I hope to break uh, three fundamental truths that I think are, uh, we, are those that we need to embrace if we're to grow a more thankful heart regardless of our circumstances. Um, so to do that this morning, I want to turn to uh, an unusual source. This is Ben previously did some survey work here, but this is really important, so I'm going to ask a few questions. You need to participate because it could have profound impacts on the duration of the message here this morning, so <laughs> it be can become very practical. So how many people are familiar with the story of Pinocchio and Geppetto? Okay, good. It's a good start. How many people are familiar with VeggieTales? Awesome. You know, VeggieTales is this wonderful production, Christian faith-based, um, that takes uh, vegetables and fruits and turns them into their primary characters. And uh, in every case, uh, these little short animated films have a profound uh, moral uh, message based on uh, scripture. And so this morning, what I want to do is, and hopefully this will we work, <laughs> I want to take you to VeggieTales' remake of Pinocchio, and it's called Pistachio and Gelato. <laughs> it has a very, very heavy Italian theme uh, throughout, um, and uh, so I want to take us through this. Uh, I was watching this movie with my grandchildren, and this message has kind of been percolating for over a month, and um, I went, oh my gosh, uh, there, there's, there's a message here that I think ties together. Um, their version of this emphasizes children obeying their parents based on Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. But it struck me that in many ways, the story is our story, and it actually supports what I would call a meta-narrative, kind of the big story of God that's at play, the overarching story. And so I'm going to narrate just a quick little synopsis of this VeggieTales version, this pistachio and gelato. Make sure we're advancing okay. Good. So... In this story, pistachio starts as a chunk of wood from a pistachio tree. Makes sense. And he's lovingly made into a toy boy. A pistachio immediately comes to life and in short order revolts against the notion that he was made by gelato. What's a father, he asks. Pistachio refuses to come under gelato's kind and loving authority and instructions for how to enter into this new life. And Pistachio insists that he doesn't need any instruction. He can figure it out by himself, his own way. He's absolutely certain that he knows what is best that will make him happy. Gelato does his best to give guidance to Pistachio, and there seems to be a ray of hope that Pistachio might actually listen. But at the very first opportunity... Pistachio rebels and follows his own desires. Yielding to the temptation set before him, he spends the last five cents in Gelato's pocket, money given to him for a specific purpose, but he spends it instead on his own pleasure. And he's a very proud and independent chunk of wood. <laughs> oh, I was one slide behind. Okay, good. 
So Pistachio's rebellion quickly leads him into a community of unsavory characters. They're out to take full advantage of him. Pistachio could not be more naive and ignorant of the world that he is stumbling into. These evil characters immediately recognize an easy target when they see one. And yet, Pistachio, we must remember, is not fully a victim here. We can't lose sight that his own decisions have brought him to this place and exposed his vulnerability. So the bad guys take Pistachio deeper into the world's temptations, down at the waterfront carnival. And as they go along, they're systematically demeaning gelato as a wise and loving father. As Pistachio grows in confusion and disappointment, he begins to miss gelato and home. But the bad guys convince Pistachio that he can't go home to his father unless he can make things right on his own. And ultimately, Pistachio is cast out into the ocean once the bad guys have taken all of his money. As Pistachio washes up on the shore, he encounters the Blueberry Fairy, and that's who this character is. And she doesn't do anything particularly magical, but what she does is really profound. She acts as a conscience, and she helps him understand the terrible mistakes that he's been making and the wrong that he has done to Gelato. Pistachio sets out for home, but all the while, as he has led this this very short life, um, his nose has continued to grow until it is literally tripping him up, getting in the way of other people and life. And in this scene here, he's looked down and his nose is poked into the crack in the sidewalk and he's become stuck. So... That's just how disruptive this elongated nose that's a result of um, the way that he has lied his way through his short life has resulted. As he gets home, though, Gelato's not there. Having heard that his lost son was last seen at the waterfront, Gelato, in turn, has gone on mission to find his beloved wooden boy, convinced that he's been washed out to sea. You've got to get the whale into the, the story, right? Pistachio, of course, follows his father out to sea only to be swallowed by the whale. That leads to their ultimate unification because this same whale has previously swallowed not only his father, but uh, his father's relatives. <laughs> if you've never seen one of these, you really have to because the level of humor is just outrageous at times. And it's almost more adult-oriented than kids because it's so subtle in some regards. So uh, Gelato and his long-lost brothers have been surviving on a ship that was swallowed by the whale with them. The ship was full of Italian food, and so they've been, they've been doing very, very well, but it's coming to a point where they're starting to, to uh, lose that. And um, these three characters here are... Um, um, the brothers are um, loosely based on uh, De Niro and Brando and, and Pacino. Uh, so uh, this comes through, it's, it, it is hysterical. 
So gelato and pistachio are reunited and reconciled. Gelato fixes Pinocchio's elongated, I'm sorry, pistachio's elongated nose. Pistachio submits to the wisdom and the authority of gelato as his father. And together, they're all able to escape the peril of dying in the belly of the whale by doing it gelato's way instead of pistachio's. Pistachio is deeply grateful for gaining back his father, being restored to his family, having his nose fixed. And he's learned his lesson to always obey his parents, according to Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. So it's a cute, it's an entertaining story, but it does have some pretty obvious spiritual parallels that I'm confident you picked up on as we went. But there are three that I think are significant that I want to pull out and focus in on as we embrace this topic around thankfulness in all things. So I'm not just going to transition to just boring scripture, so that's, that's it for the duration now. Like pistachio, we are created beings. That's really significant. That means that we have a creator, right? Now, that sounds obvious. We go, yeah, right, get it. Um, but the implications of that are profound in the world that we live in is uh, totally dedicated to uh, resisting that proposition. It does mean there is one who is greater than us, one who designed us, made us just the way he wanted us. He alone knows how we were made to operate, to live life in every regard, we find there's something of significance, a part of him, something of his image that has been created in us. And Psalm 118.1 tells us that, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Everything begins with our creator God, and we're so blessed because he is good, and his love for his children has no end. Now, this is reality. This is truth. This is the way things really are for all mankind, not just for those of us here, followers of Jesus. For us as his redeemed children, I think the implications are critical for the formation of this thankful heart that we're pursuing. Uh, we sang it earlier uh, uh, Holly quoted this passage, um, but we come back to Genesis 1 and the very first four words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, right? So all that exists, all that has life was created by God, for God. As creator, then, everything and every one of us belong to him. And the purpose of all things is his glory, the creator's glory, not the creation's glory. And so as his highest level of creation, mankind is designed to be in relationship with him. We find our ultimate fulfillment and in every way fulfilled in relationship to him. Everything's designed to operate the way he's designed it. But we broke that perfect creation, didn't we, with our sin. 
One of those religious words, let me unpack it briefly, but you know, sin is every act and attitude and thought that rebels against the perfect will of God and attempts to rob him of his glory. So we find ourselves in this broken world polluted with our own collective sin, and that's our context. Like gelato to pistachio, God as our creator knows what's best for all mankind. He continues speaking to the entirety of creation as we know from Romans 1 and 2, which concludes that we are without excuse. He alone is holy, good, perfect, trustworthy, and loving. For those who reject him, committed to their own ways over God's ways, Romans 8, 7 tells us they're hostile towards God, unable to please him. There is essentially no relationship. Please understand this. This is so important for us as followers of Christ, particularly as we move into the times that we're now in. Those, these are the last days. Every day is a step closer to the day when Jesus returns. But it is mounting. Clearly we see that. But hear this. The world strives with all of its energy to be independent of God, refusing to submit to his authority. And invariably the world finds itself then centering on humanism itself. Man's the source and the authority for the world. The world works with all its might to overcome the curse of sin, the consequences of its continual sin against God. Yet death, disease, famine, war, hatred, murder, and every form of depravity continues to flourish, right? To the pain and suffering of all of us. Humanism elevating ourselves to that highest role is the world's view. And so it looks to itself to solve the problems of the heart that only God alone can solve and fix. But recognize this permeates every aspect of this world that we live in. And my concern is that you not be deceived and your eyes would be open to recognizing how this worldview permeates and touches us in almost every aspect of living. It's important for us. In the absence of that, and if, you, if we devolve back into a focus on ourselves and humanism, uh, you won't find the ability to come to a thankful heart. So for those of us who belong to God in grace through faith in Jesus, He's what? He's given us his spirit and his written word made alive and active through the power of the spirit to guide us according to his will and his ways as we live and grow in relationship to him. So here's my challenge to us from this first point. Don't live in such a way that suggests you've forgotten that you are created. We were made for him. We belong to him. According to 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20, as believers in Christ, we're the temples of the Holy Spirit now. We're not our own anymore, but we were bought with a price. So the question becomes, do how we live demonstrate the early attitude of pistachio, of I don't need any instruction or guidance, I know everything I need to know. That's the way of the world. 
How much weight and authority do we give to the written word of God in our daily lives? That's an important question. See, the Holy Spirit speaks to us in several ways, but it's unlikely that you'll hear and recognize the voice of the Spirit in other ways if you don't first recognize and know it from the Word of God, God's primary special revelation to us. So the question then is, how independent from God are you living your life today? How much time do you spend seeking God's direction for your life through his written word and prayer? You know, in this key passage, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the verse says, pray without ceasing. And it doesn't speak so much to being uh, constantly talking to God, but living a life in total dependence on him. And of course, to do that, though, you are in a lot of conversational prayer. Recognize, though, that the independent path, my way, and this is something in recently and how I bring this in part today is God's convicted me of ways that I've been too independent of him and not inviting him into aspects of my life, and, and I have suffered consequences as a result of that. But some of them can be confusion, disillusionment, discouragement, fear, bitterness as you struggle in this broken world. And recognize that you're own deceptive heart coupled with the voice of the world is always going to lead you away from God, not to him. So the second point I want to draw out of this story is, unlike pistachio, you're a real being. But of great importance is that you're an eternal being. Let that soak in for a moment. We don't think too much about that. You're a soul. You're an eternal created being. That is reality. That's the truth. That's the way things really are. It demands of us, though, that we then have an eternal perspective on life, right? we begin to be able to look beyond this physical world, recognize that we're an active part of the spiritual realm. That's a, that's a significant concept for us as believers. Jesus said in John 4, 23 and 24, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. According to Ephesians 2.5, we were spiritually dead in sin, right? We were unable to connect with God spiritually. But if you belong to Jesus today, you have the Holy Spirit who has spiritually regenerated each one of us, made us alive again to God through Christ. So we are part of this spirit realm that includes Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the host of angels, including the fallen angels, uh, Satan and his minions and those that uh, follow him. Think about this. You know, we, we just have been through the Christmas story. 
and angels appear. We don't spend a lot of time on that. We might characterize that, sometimes mischaracterize it with little cherubs and stuff. And, but when angels appear, and you look throughout the, the narrative of Scripture, people are responding fear, sometimes great fear. Uh, yeah, even for those that are receiving the message of the coming Christ, the birth of Jesus uh, and its eminence, most of those are coming from the Jewish perspective and they understand and they have the narrative of most of the Old Testament at this point in time in God's written word. And if we look back in history, we see that angels at times come and when they come, sometimes they're there to correct on God's behalf. And, uh, and they can do some serious damage in short order, affecting a lot of people. So we're talking about very powerful beings that have the ability to appear and move from the spiritual realm to this physical realm. That realm exists, and I am just challenge you to consider that that's the realm that you have joined as God has regenerated you spiritually. My concern, um, like pistachio, I think we're far too naive to the presence and the tactic of the enemy that is uh, dedicated against us. And we're often oblivious to the active role of our active role in the spiritual realm. You have to recognize the fact that you've been brought into that as you're no longer passive. Like it or not, you're fully brought into the battle that's raging in this world for a time You know, Jesus thought that this was significant enough that he prayed for it to our benefit. John 17, 14 and 15, Jesus says, I have given them your word, praying to the Father. And the world's hated them because they were not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, in his defense of his Apostolic ministry uh, gives us some clues into the nature of the battle that we have joined. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Strongholds of evil, right? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God to take every thought captive to obey Christ. So it's a spiritual battle. Recognize the battleground is the heart. It's mind-centric. It's about the enemy seeking every possible way to turn us away from God through lies and distortions of the truth about God, his ways, and his character. Attempting to both either, at the very least, neutralize us, if not destroy us, but get us out of the way to the sidelines of the battle. Now, we all know, uh, and the hope that we have, but we know that the war is won, and we recognize the battle rages for a time. So suffering, disease, war, all forms of the consequences of our sin, the fall, the curse. We're both victims and perpetrators, right? We've been participants in that. 
We've been on the receiving end. We've been on the giving end um, as we've wronged others. So every one of us has made our contributions to the place that we find ourselves in. And, you know, we use the word world a lot, and from a biblical perspective, let me unbundle that just a little bit because it's important. But what we're talking about when we talk about the world versus the kingdom of God is the spiritual kingdom of Satan um, that operates in this physical world, its systems, its authorities, its powers, the deceptions, and all forms of depravity. My point here is you were eternal beings. We're living for a short time in this broken world, active in battle against a spiritual enemy, and what is at stake is the souls of those yet to come into the kingdom of God. So though we suffer some, and this in of our own making in part. We're redeemed for eternity and being transformed day by day, right? We live in the promise of Romans 8, 26 and 28. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, interceding for us according to God's will. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, right? For those who are called according to his purpose. This is the heart of being thankful in all things. It's a real important distinction here. We're not called to be thankful for all things. We're not called to be thankful for disease and death and the suffering that takes place. But we're called to be thankful in the midst of those things. It's part of being thankful in all circumstances, right? And we're able to do that because we understand the eternal nature of things, our role in it, and the work of God on our behalf. I do want to emphasize, and this is perhaps a later conversation, our need to grow in this spiritual role that we're called and been activated into in this spiritual realm. You know, according to Ephesians 6, that we put on the whole armor of God for this spiritual battle. There's no fear in this because we've been equipped, we've been empowered by the Spirit, and we've been authorized by Jesus. But yet we're called to be active, not passive. Then lastly, the third point, just like Pistachio was misled to believe things about the character and nature of his father, Gelato, that weren't true, I think so, too, we are often misled into believing Satan's lies about the character and the intent and the ways of God. Commonly, the lies go along the lines that God is distant and uncaring in the midst of our suffering, that God's irrelevant, doesn't really matter, doesn't play a part, or that we can't come to him without somehow or another proving ourselves or working our way to that place, showing how we potentially measure up and deserve God's attention and favor. Those are all lies and common of the enemy. Our loving Father, right? Like gelato. 
He was unwilling to sit idle on the sidelines while we as his children were to potentially perish in our sin without him. We celebrate this season, right? He came. He came. Jesus entered our reality, suffered beyond measure, gave his life for us. More than that, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of The trade of his righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, for our sin, all of our sin, collectively, past, present, and future, all the depravity of mankind, all at once, and suffered the separation from the Father and the Spirit. We often lose sight of the fact that the Trinitarian God we believe in, Father, Son, and Spirit, is perfectly unified in love, is a representation of the perfect relationship, and sin comes in and severs that for a time. And the pain and the suffering that the Trinity experienced in that, we have no sense of. We will spend the bulk of our lives recognizing the significance of our own sin and how proud we are and how far we fall short of the holiness of God. That's a lifelong endeavor for us. The reality here, though, is that Jesus took all of that, the very worst things we can imagine, and everything in between on himself all at once. That's the nature and the character of God we serve, right? Now, his ask of us in this interim time, join him in the battle for the souls of those yet to be saved. Through that process, he's going to redeem all of the horrors of the curse to our good. That's the promise, right? Transforming us through the struggle into his own likeness. What an amazing offer. We who are ultimately Hopeless, nothing to offer, no way to correct. He comes and gives us this offer. As Jesus prays in John 17, 3, Father, that they, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's the beginning of eternal life right here, right now to know him. And we're invited into that through his sacrifice. So through Jesus, Romans 5, 2 through 5, through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to you. What an amazing solution. That's our reality. And that brings it a whole new context to the suffering that we do incur and that those around us uh, live in. But, oh, what a hope. More importantly, oh, what an amazing reality that we can come to know that God personally experience him, hear his voice, know his voice, and be guided by him. So we're at this threshold here of crossing from 2018 to 2019, and it's always a time to reflect, but my question this morning would be, how might things look different for you? Most importantly, how is the Spirit speaking this morning? You know, we all began as a proud chunk of wood, um, but we're not desiring to follow in his sawdust, right? Rather, we want to follow the God who has done so much for us. It's good to remember 1 Peter 5, 5, right? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And if God seems distant in your distress, it may be simply that he's not cooperating with your self-centered plans. It might be worth considering. We find that as we come to him with a humble heart and recognize that we indeed are his creation, not the creator, you'll find a loving father waiting there loving to connect with you and meet that need, inviting you, cast your cares on him because he cares for you, all the little things. So one of the challenges is, have you been somewhat ignorant or resistant to the true reality that you're called to as a follower of Jesus? Are you embracing life in this world as an eternal creation in response to the demonstrated love of Jesus by joining him in the battle for the lost? If not, maybe it's time to repent and lean in. Seek a more complete understanding of who you are in him and the calling on you and how to become equipped to be that active agent. Then exercise your calling and authority extending God's kingdom in this lost world. In the process of all of this, thankfulness will grow in you as it does in me as we grow in him. And growing in him means to grow to know him and experience him, hear his voice, live in his love. So the question is, how is God How's the Spirit speaking to you today? And perhaps most importantly, then, how would you consider responding? Let's pray for a moment. Ah, Father, we're overwhelmed with the reality of who you are. We are indeed your creation. We're not you, the creator, but we are so blessed that you are good. You are love. 
You are steadfast in your faithfulness and your love for us. You've demonstrated that, Lord, through coming as the Son. At great cost, you've redeemed us, Lord. And yet, out of your sovereign will, you've asked us to remain in the battle here while there are yet still those to be brought into your kingdom, Lord. Would you speak to us, Lord, to help us to know what you would call each one of us to, what the next step of faith is to grow in you. Father, we're so grateful that you didn't leave us where you found us, but you have brought us into this amazing journey. We desire to be faithful. We love you, Lord. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.